So one of the most common questions I get, uh, especially regarding worship on a Sunday morning, is how do I choose what three readings are in the service folder, and then how do I choose which one I preach on? I mean, that's a really good question, especially if you don't come from a church that is structured like this, at least worships like this. So the, the simple answer is I use this tool, this ancient tool called the lectionary. And the lectionary is simply, it has a, a set of readings for each Sunday of the church here, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament, one from the Gospel, and an appointed psalm. And they are all drawn together in this cohesive theme. And truthfully, I really like the lectionary, and that it happens for a number of reasons. One, it, I never have to sit in my office and think, well, what? what in all the world am I going to preach on? Like that's kind of determined for me. It gives me at least, at least a selection for three readings. The other two reasons has a whole lot to do with you. One, it protects you from whatever I want to talk about, right? Because if I had my choice, I would preach on my same four favorite theological things all the time and hear the same sermon about once a month, every month for the entirety that I'm your pastor. So that protects you from me in that way. And the other thing that it does is it allows me to present the whole counsel of God to you on a yearly basis. These huge things that are transformative for your life of faith. But there comes a point in time where it's necessary to break from the norm and to lay aside a tool, even a tool as good as the lectionary. Um, over the past two weeks, our nation has gone through incredibly terrible things. We've seen the murder of an innocent man in Minneapolis. We've seen riots that came out of, a, out of peaceful protests. We've seen cities burned down, personal property destroyed. We've watched so much unfold in our, in our lives, uh, right before our very eyes, and we've heard so much. And we need to talk about it. We need to figure out how do we as Christians handle that. And a lot of the thing that spurred me on to at least sit down and talk about this was I received a number of questions over the last week and a half, both from within the congregation and from without. And you could sum all of those, all of those questions up into a singular sentence. How do we as Christians handle what's going on out there? Because as, as Christians, as a, a church that stands on the word of God, as blood-bought children of God, We've got two options, right? Option number one would be to sweep it under the rug, would be to pretend that it doesn't happen because it's not affecting us and just hope that life goes on as normal. Or the second option is that we actually tackle a topic that is hard, a topic that is divisive, a topic that has divided our nation over the last two and a half weeks and probably for longer. It's just now coming to a head. Now, which of the two do you think is easier? Option number one, right? Sweep it under the rug, pretend it doesn't happen and never talk about it. But what good does that do us? What good does that do us to pretend like the stuff going on out there doesn't affect our brothers and sisters, God created humanity? What good does it do for our life of faith if we don't figure out how to talk to people about this? And so we're going to go with option number two this morning. We're going to do the hard thing. We're going to tackle this topic, but we're going to do it in a way that's different, at least different from maybe what you'd expect and what you hear. Um, admittedly, it's, this is incredibly hard. Because this sermon could go in a, in a whole bunch of different ways. But I, I need you to know on the outset, like the direction that it's going to go. Number one, this is not a politically motivated sermon. It's not going to take a stance left, right, or the middle on what's going on out there. Number two, this is not going to be Doug's social commentary on what's happening in the world. Because what good is that going to do for your walk of faith if I'm just telling you, well, this is what I think about what's happening out there. That's going to do you no good as you, as you try to carry out your Christian walk in, a, in, like in these turbulent times. So instead, what we are going to do this morning is we're going to take a stand on the Word of God, and we're going to look at what the Word of God says for our Christian walk, because it's through the Word that God promises, one, to grow our faith, and two, to give us the guidance that we need. I, this Writing this sermon, I, I think that this is a sermon, number one, that I needed to write, and number two, that I needed to preach myself, preach to myself 
perhaps more than any other sermon that I've written in my entire ministry. Because as I looked at and I saw what was going on in the world, I didn't have a great attitude about it. I, truthfully, I didn't. I needed to be brought to my knees in repentance and run to the cross for forgiveness for the attitude and the, the thoughts that I've taken toward everything that's happened out there. And maybe over the last couple of weeks, as we go through this sermon, you'll find that maybe you had some similar thoughts that I did about everything that's happening out there, about the murders, about the riots, about, about the violence that has transpired. And this topic, it's hard for a number of reasons. It's hard because, because this, this conversation that we're about to have it spans more than just one 20-minute sermon, right? This is part of a much larger com- conversation that, that needs to take place and covers a multitude of topics. It covers our, our entire life of sanctification, that, learning pro- that entire process of, of learning to say yes to Jesus and no to sin. It covers our, our life as citizens in two kingdoms, our life as, as a citizen in the kingdom of this world and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It covers our relationship to God's law. That, um, that Jesus summed up so well, but God's law that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's why, that's why this morning, not only are we going to cover like your Christian walk through these turbulent times and, and look at what's happening out there in this sermon, but I also want us to be able to have the opportunity to ask questions and to have an open dialogue about this stuff, because actually talking about this prevents us from sweeping it under the rug. Actually talking about it and taking a stance on it in the Word of God, founded on the Word of God, centered on the Word of God, actually helps us to grow in our Christian lives. And so after worship today, and really for as long as it takes, for as many weeks as it takes, I'm willing to sit here and have this open conversation with you and walk through the Word of God on how we handle things like murder and violence and the way our nation is being torn apart as Christians. You know, as uh, in my short life, I've attended no less than 10 funerals. I've stood at the bedside of someone who is dying and watched God call this person home. But on May 25th, I saw something that I thought maybe I would never see in my lifetime. I watched as a murder played out in almost real time. Now, earlier in the day, I hadn't heard of a man named George Floyd until a pastor friend of mine up north sent me a text, hey, have you heard about what happened to this guy? And then sent me a link to the video. Have you raised your hand? Have you seen the video or at least some snippets of that video? Right? With, with me, you watched as this guy grasped for breath, as he begged for that knee of that police officer to be taken off the back of his neck. You watched as his lifeless body was pulled from the cement and taken out of Minneapolis. And do you know what my, my thought was after I watched that video? My thought after I, I heard about this and saw the violence and the destruction that ensued after all of this? I was largely indifferent. I was largely indifferent because it wasn't affecting me personally. And that. That's why I need this sermon. That's why I needed to preach this sermon to myself over and over again before I ever came and talked to you guys about this. As Christians, we have a tendency to do that, don't we? To distance ourselves from things that don't affect us, to look at things that are happening in the news, to look at things that are happening across the United States and go, well, that's just another guy. Why should I care? That's just another riot. That's just another city destroyed that isn't affecting me. So why should I like, stand up and raise up my arms and say, I, say, I need to care about this? Right? And that's a problem. It's a huge problem. But that's how I was feeling. And maybe over the last couple of weeks, that's how you felt too. You've maybe almost forgot about it because you've just turned off the news and you've said, I'm largely going to ignore what's going on because it doesn't affect me. Even though there are riots and there are protests going on in Charlotte, I thought, well, they're, not, they're never going to come up here to the burbs, right? It's never going to reach up this way. That's how I was feeling until Andy told me about a conversation she had with her sister. My sister-in-law, Sarah, lives in Minneapolis and she's dating a man named Josh. But I need to be more specific than that. My sister-in-law lives in Minneapolis and is dating a black man named Josh. 
And Andy told me in this conversation how Sarah and Josh are actually feeling about all of this, how they're scared, how they are frustrated, how they actually went and participated in what started out as these peaceful protests to voice their fear and their anger and their frustration, and how in these protests, the, where they were standing, the police were firing tear gas and rubber bullets at them. That whole conversation that Andy told me about with Sarah, that completely made me reevaluate everything that I had been thinking and the way I had been feeling and even acting about all of this, because it forced me to say, I cannot... I cannot as a Christian, I cannot as a leader of God's people, act like that. It forced me to dive into the word of God and figure out that not only was my attitude and actions way off center, they were downright sinful. And two, it, when I took that dive into God's word, it, it actually gave me guidance. It actually did the very thing that God's, God's promises that his word does. It grew my faith, it strengthened me, it showed me the error of my way, and showed me how I should be acting. And the place where I found an incredible source of strength and guidance for handling stuff like that that's going out in the going on out in the world was in Micah chapter six. Now Micah is a is a fascinating prophet. He's one of God's Old Testament prophets. He was carrying out his ministry in in Jerusalem, so the southern kingdom of God's people after the kingdom split. He's carrying out his ministry in this large city of Jerusalem. And during this period of time where Micah is carrying out his ministry, it's it's kind of a, a turbulent time for God's people. There are, there's political instability, there are social injustices, there is moral degradation, um, and all of this is going on during Micah's prophecy. Right? The political instability is happening because there's not only a power grab for who's actually in control and who's actually the people of God, so the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern people of Judah, but you also have a warring nation of Assyria, this big world power who's coming in and threatening invasion. Judah, at this point where Micah is carrying out his ministry, has, um, is experiencing this unprecedented time of prosperity. Where uh, a time where they haven't ex that they haven't experienced since King Solomon was ruling over them, and this prosperity, as you can imagine, brought all sorts of social injustices and um, and victimization, because all at once you have a you have a greedy wealthy class, and there's a dichotomy between them and the victimized poor class. You have this 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 grab for money and wealth, and so in the same city, sometimes even in neighboring houses. You have, you have opulence and, and, um, and luxury and riches, and in the house next door you have squalor and poverty and filth. But this is the place where Micah is carrying out his ministry. Even, even the, the, the religious leaders at this time, they're making a grab for this money, and so something like idolatry became endemic in Jerusalem. The reason I bring all of this up, the reason I bring up that backdrop, is because when you listen to it, what does that sound like? What does that place where Micah is ministering sound like? Sounds like America right now, doesn't it? Sounds like a place where in America where you have political instability, you have social injustices, you have violence, you have spiritual poverty. The reason I tell all of you that this morning, that background, is because that makes what Micah wrote or what God spoke through the prophet Micah that much more powerful and effective in giving you guidance for your turbulent walk. In, in Micah chapter 6, the first five verses, what God is doing is he's, he's laying out this accusation against his people because his people had turned from worshiping him to worshiping what? To worshiping idols. And that primary idol for them was money. And so in the first five verses, God says, what have I done to you to make your heart turn away from me and turn to these man-made gods? But then there's this marked shift in verses six to eight, where now all of a sudden the prophet Micah says, here's what the Lord requires of you, to put that sin behind you. And then in verse 8, he tells you, this is exactly what I require. You can look up here at the screen for this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And what does all that mean? 
It's important to, to know kind of what these words are, first and foremost. This is Micah's commentary on, on God's law, on the Ten Commandments. And when you're talking about God's law, it's important to remember that when we talk about it, or sometimes it's helpful to remember that when we talk about God's law, we talk about it as the two tables of the law. Right? So you have Ten Commandments. The first table of the law, Commandments 1 through 3, deal with what? Deal with your relationship with God. The second table of the law, Commandments 4 through 10, they all deal with your relationship with who? With each other, right. They deal with your relationship with, with each other. And so what Micah is pointing out here is that the, your relationship, in your relationships, both with God and with your fellow human beings, with your neighbors, you are to do what? You are to act justly, you are to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But before you can ever do these things with your neighbor, do you know what has to be right first? The relationship with your God. That has to be right. So what does all this look like? What does it mean to have a right relationship with your God according to the Ten Commandments? What does it mean to act justly according to your God? Well, to act justly in your relationship with your God means that you are, you are acting according to God's standard of justice that he lays out in Commandments 1 to 3. This means you are to fear, love, and trust God above all things. This means that you are to run to God and worship him and not worship any other man-made idol or other person. It means that you are to run to God as your only source of strength and spiritual blessing. It means that you are to run to the word of God for your only source of guidance for your walk through this turbulent time. What does it mean to, to, uh, to love mercy in your relationship with God? It means that, that you are seeking the mercy of God more than anything else in this life, more than anything else. And the, the word that, that the prophet Micah uses for mercy, it's more than just like a definable word. It actually describes God's disposition for you, this Hebrew word chesed. It's, uh, it describes the way in which God feels about you, that he loves you. And it's a kind of love that can't be found in another human being, right? It's this arrow pointing down love. It's the kind of love that is full of compassion, that is forgiving, that is giving, that is sacrificial, that is selfless. This is the kind of love that your God has for you. This is the disposition that God has for you. And so God wants you to seek all of this, wants, you to, wants this to be the thing that you seek more than anything else in this life. That's what it means to love mercy in your relationship with God. And then to walk humbly with your God, this is a simple recognition of who you are and, who God, and how God, through Christ, sees you. In humility, all of us fall before our Father in heaven and recognize that we are sinners. Recognize that we are a people who can't do this on our own. We recognize that we fail time and time again to not just keep the first three commandments, but to keep all of the commandments. We fail to live up to God's standard of perfection. And so we recognize that we are a people who deserve nothing but death. And yet, in that same humility, we run to the God who actually forgives us. We run to the God who says, I have forgiven you because of what my son has done for you. I have forgiven you of all of your sins. This is what it means to walk humbly with your God. And it's only when you get that right. It's only when you understand your relationship with God and get that right that you can understand what your relationship with your fellow man is supposed to be like. It's only after that that God has made your relationship right that you will understand how it is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God in your relationship with other people. To walk or to act justly uh, in your relationship with your neighbor, in relationship with each other here, in relationship to everybody else out in that world means that you are never going to do a thing that harms somebody else. You are never going to bring an injustice against them. You are never going to speak an ill word against them. You are going to make sure that you honor them, that you honor their relationships, that you honor their God-given gift of life, that you honor the property that they have, that you honor their good name. This is what it means to act justly toward your neighbor. What it means to love mercy in a, in a relationship with your neighbor, with your fellow man, with somebody sitting in here, means that no matter how hard it is, no matter how impossible it seems, it means that you are going to love them. 
You are going to love them with the same kind of love, the same kind of mercy that God has so graciously poured out on all of you. You are going to love them with that kind of love that is sacrificial. You are going to love them with that kind of love that is giving, that is forgiving. You are going to love them and put their needs, their wants, their concerns above those of your own because this is what God has called you to do. To walk humbly with your God in relationship to other people means that you are going to constantly be asking God for guidance for, how do I do this? It also means that you are going to be constantly giving them the same things that God gives to you. You are constantly be going, to give, going to be giving them sin and grace. You are constantly going to be giving them law and gospel. In love, you are going to be showing them the errors of their sinful ways, but you can't, that conversation can't stop there, right? No, as a Christian, you are also going to point them to the God who lived for them, who died for them, who was raised to new life for them, to assure them without a shadow of a doubt that their sins are all forgiven, because this is what God has done for you. Great, so this is what it means, both in, that's what to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God means in your relationship both with God and with human, other humans. But that's all ethereal right now, right? That's great that you tell me that, but we need to take the ethereal and boil it down and make it practical. Make it apply to what's going on out there today. You know, earlier in the sermon I talked about how when I heard about this murder of George Floyd, when I had um, seen the videos of the, the violence and the protest, I I was largely indifferent because they were things that, that just weren't affecting me. But boy, when I took that dive into the Word of God and I looked at this, these passages from Micah chapter 6, I was brought to my knees in repentance and shown what, shown what these things really were because when I read through this, I was forced to ask the question, does indifference mean that I'm acting justly toward my neighbor? Does not caring about what's happening in a city that's 1,200 miles away, is that really loving mercy? Is not caring in an attitude of indifference really, is that really walking humbly with my God? Absolutely not. And this is what I needed to be convicted of. And maybe as you think about how you've acted or reacted or thought about all of these events, maybe you've had some of these same thoughts that I had, and this is why this is so good for us to talk about today. Because when you peel all the layers back and, and you look at all of this, you'll come to realize that, that indifference, that not caring, they're on the same level as the murder that was, that was committed, the violence that was condoned, the riots that took place, the destruction of property. That's all on the same level because you know what? They're all sins. They are all sins, every single one of them. The racism, the systemic violence, everything that, everything that is going on, they all have their root cause in sin. And so if you want to talk about systemic problems in our world, that can't start with the problem. You can't start with racism and then have a conversation. You can't start with all of the violence and the oppression that's happening and then have a conversation. In order to have a conversation that is fruitful, in order to figure out how we as Christians are supposed to talk about this and handle this, you've got to start with sin. You've got to start with the root cause of all of these problems. Because ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, sin has been the systemic problem. That is the root cause of every evil, every single injustice that has ever taken place in this world. And so sin is the very thing that keeps us from doing what? From acting justly, from loving mercy, and from walking humbly with our God. Sin is the thing that makes you not care about a murder that happened to somebody that you don't know. Sin is the thing that makes you say, well, I don't really care what happens in, the, in all of these cities. Sin is the, is the thing that makes you stand up while you're watching your TV set and, and say, I can't believe people out there would do something like that. I can't believe they would go out into this world and go out into the streets and destroy other people's property just because they're mad about something that happened. Right? And do you know the thing that you're doing when you say something like that, when you, when you talk like that? You're playing the comparison game. 
you're lessening your sin and you're making somebody else's greater when in God's eyes, what is, what is the truth? That all sin is equal. And so sin is where the conversation has to start because sin is what keeps us from doing this, from acting justly, from loving mercy and walking humbly with our God. This morning we can all thank God that even when we have attitudes like that, we have a God who lived and died for us. We have a God who took even sins like this and he nailed them to the cross and he forgives us. And it's only in light of that forgiveness and the strength and the guidance that God gives us from his word that he shows us, well, this is how you carry this out. This is how you act justly, how you love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what does that look like? What does acting justly look like in a climate out there? When you hear about something like the murder of an innocent man in the streets of Minneapolis or the violence that's been carried out in these cities in the name of this murder, acting justly means that you have an indignation toward those actions. It means that you are angry about them. Because what are those actions? Those actions are sinful. And when you are angry over a sin that is committed, you are actually emulating the way in which God feels about all sin of all time. God hates sin with every single fiber of his being. And to hate sin is to hate what God hates. Right? That's acting justly when you hear about something like that. Acting justly toward your fellow man in a climate like this also means that you see every single human life for what it actually is. Regardless of race, age, gender, color, ethnicity, community status, the wealth that they carry around, the car that they drive, Acting justly towards your fellow man means that you see life for what it really is, a complete and utter gift from God. In our first reading for this morning, we heard um, on the sixth day of creation how God created Adam and Eve. He created them in the image and in the likeness of God. This means that their wills were totally aligned with God's. It means that they were perfect in every single way. Now, it is true. It is true that after the fall into sin, that image of God was lost. But from the moment that God created faith in your hearts, he is restoring that image daily in your heart until that last day comes when that image is fully restored and perfected. But that faith which God gives you allows you to see that acting justly means that you are valuing the life that he has given to each and every single human being in this world, regardless of status or class or race or the color of their skin. And it also allows you to see that any action that is taken to remove somebody's life from them, to steal away that gift of life, is a sin. This is what it means to act justly when you hear about something like that, to act justly according to your fellow man, to, uh, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, it, with everything that's going out there, means that you are constantly on your knees in prayer asking God for guidance for how, how do we navigate all of this. Loving mercy and, and walking humbly with your God also means that you are called to have really tough conversations. You were called to talk to people about their sin, right? And how these actions, even the actions of my own heart, they need to be called out. But these conversations, they can't have a political bent to them. They can't be spoken from a holier-than-thou pedestal. The place where you have to take them is the very place where each and every one of us have taken our stand. You have to take them to the Word of God and show them. But your conversation, it can't stop there. That Where you have to go next is to the Word of God. You have to go to the cross and show them that not only are these things sinful, but there is a God. There's a God who lived, who died, who was raised again to forgive all of these sins. And there's the promise of hope and life after this. That's where you have to take people. That's what it means to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now, there is a really important truth that we haven't talked about yet, that, but that belongs in this conversation. And it's that this world, the world out there, the world in which you and I live, it is a corrupt and broken and sinful place. And it's never going to change. And here's what, I mean. here's what I mean by that, just so that we're clear. What I mean by, by that it's never going to change is that sin will always exist. Ever since the fall into sin, 
sin has, has racked and corrupted and caused creation to groan in the frustration that sin causes. And there's nothing that you and I can do about that. And so because sin exists, it means, it means that there will always be things, unfortunately, this is the unfortunate reality, there will always be things like racism and violence and murders and destruction and put anything else under that list because this is what sin does to us. And I know it's tempting to buy into, buy into these trite little sayings like, let's all live together in peace and harmony and joy. Let's just all coexist. Like, it's great to have that ideology, but it's not rooted in anything except surface level. Because when you actually take a stand on the word of God and you look at the very thing that it says, it shows you that there's nothing that we can do as humanity. There's nothing that any of us can do to change the fact that sin will be here until that last day comes when God ushers in a new heavens and a new earth and brings us home to be with him. Now, it would be tempting in light of that truth to say, well, it doesn't really matter what we do then, right? If we can't change the world, if we can't rid the world of sin, then what are we supposed to do? Because if we can't do anything, if we can't change that, then how are we going to live and walk and, and work in a world like this? Let's just sit in our little corner of Cornelius or Huntersville and sit on our hands and do nothing. That couldn't be further from the truth, though. Because even though you and I can't change the way in which the world is going to work and rid it of its sinfulness, there is something that we can do. We can carry out the task that God has given us. I talked about it last week, and it's become even more vital this week. In Matthew 28, in our gospel this morning, Jesus gives a mission to his church, to his disciples, to all believers of all time, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Do you know what part of that is? It's giving people sin and grace. It's applying the cross to their lives. It's applying the cross to this world. Because the cross is where God's justice and God's love beautifully and powerfully collide to create a real forgiveness, to create real hope, to create real peace, even in the midst of all of the mess that you and I live in out there. This is the task that you and I are given to do. And I know it's not easy, especially with, especially with everything that's going on. But you've got to realize that your strength to do this, not just to, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God, but to also carry out this task that God has given us, the strength to do this comes from the Word of God. It comes from taking a stand on the Word of God, because the more deeply rooted in the Word of God that you are, the more deeply rooted in Christ that you are, the more spiritual fruit that you are going to produce. The more deeply, worded, deeply rooted in the Word of God you are, the more time you spend studying and reading and applying it to your life or having it applied here on a Sunday morning, the more you are going to do things like act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Not only in your relationship with your God, but in your relationship with your fellow man. And until that last day comes when God finally does get rid of sin once for all, when God finally does take us to the new heavens and the new earth, like let's, let's go out and be the thing that God has called us to be, to be these beacons of hope, these, these bastions of light and forgiveness, showing people the cross. And I pray that as we do that, as we do that, that God would give you, give you the strength, not only in your relationship with him, but in your relationship with human beings, with each other, to do just this, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God grant it. Amen.